Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Coffee Break Podcast. These are short podcasts for you to listen to at a coffee break. Developed to give you some quick ideas on how to help you build your desk and business. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller for today's Coffee Break Podcast. Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast. I'm Adrian Mansfield, and in my 20 plus years in recruitment, I've had a number of million pound years. I've worked in most of the major recruitment markets and in all sales roles within a recruitment agency. I've also run my own company and set up companies both in the UK and in several international locations. Recruitment has given me the opportunity to travel the world and see some of the best and worst places on offer, from Australia to Afghanistan and many more in between. The Million Pound Biller podcast offers those at any level in recruitment tips and ideas from me and my contacts, both inside and outside recruitment, but all from the coalface. Information and ideas that can be taken back to your day-to-day careers and put you on the path to a million pound year. The cornerstone of my success over the years has been my willingness to learn and develop my skills, something I still do every day. Now I'm offering you some of my ideas and thoughts that will allow you to squeeze the most out of your recruitment career, no matter what level you're at and where you're aiming for. Every journey, even one to a million pounds, starts with a single step. So let's take that first step together. Welcome back to another Coffee Break podcast. Another busy week for me. I attended a defence conference in the Midlands this week. It was amazing to see so many people out networking and looking to do business. It felt like things were getting back to normal. Sure, there were the usual checks on the way in for COVID, but they were are a small price to play. It was so normal that even had the usual protesters that those of us who've worked in the defence market are accustomed to seeing at these type of events. I'm amazed by the reaction to the conversation I had with Nick Cramp. It seemed to stir up some ideas for you. And I've had a number of conversations on the issues raised this week. I'm looking forward to bringing you some more interviews over the coming weeks, including our first returning interviewee. I will leave you all to try and work out who that might be and leave it there for the moment. One main area that came out of the conversation with Nick and the subsequent chats that I've had with fellow recruiters was around the way we measure success and the KPIs of staff. Now, those of you who are long-time listeners will know I'm a big believer in managing people with stats only in so much as they are a way of helping you to find the areas that need improvement. The idea that I've always run with is that ratios are the best measure of KPIs, such as CVs to interviews, interviews to offers, and offers to placements. However, one stat that I've never looked at in depth before, but will be added to my review metrics in the future, is the figure of conversion, the number of roles it takes for me or my team to make a sale. I feel that this statistic is perhaps the most telling stat or ratio for a salesperson in recruitment, particularly at the moment when there are lots of need, but not a lot of candidates. While speaking to people over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking them to tell me what their rate of conversion is, i.e. the number of roles that they need to work on on their desk to make a sale. I was amazed that most of the people I spoke to didn't know their conversion ratio, whether that was senior consultants well on their way to a million pound a year, to those who've had six to 12 months in the industry. They could often tell me how many CVs they sent to fill a role or how many interviews it took them to make a placement, but only a tiny few could tell me how many roles it took for them to make a sale. There seems increasingly to be a view that getting jobs on is the goal. The idea being that if you have more jobs in your pipeline, if you're busy with roles, then you're in the best place. I would counter that with the point that if you've got roles on your desk that you know you have no interest in working or that you know you have no possibility of being filled, then those roles are just wasting your time. And at worst, they're leaving you open to being thought of as a poor consultant by the client who gave you the role in the first place. I've long said that one of the most powerful words in sales is no. Saying no to a client or a candidate can feel like the wrong thing to do, but if you do it for the right reasons, it can be strengthening. Sorry, Miss Client, 
I recognise that the role is important to you, but from my experience, I feel that the salary you're offering is too low for the level of skill you want, and as such, I simply can't take on the work. Mr. Client, thank you for the opportunity on that role, but my focus and expertise is in X and Y skills, and the role you're looking at is outside of my area, so I simply don't feel I'm the best place to deliver. But I can recommend ABC Agency or ZZ Consultant. Go on, admit it. How many of you have ever used a version of this with your clients? I haven't, at least not very often. I have often been from the school of get a role on and then work out how to fill it. But I grew up working on contract roles 15 to 20 years ago. And when I was at my peak on the UK recruitment desks, I was filling 90% of the roles I worked. Partly because I knew my market. And to be frank, I didn't do much looking for work because most of it came to me by the end. The market is very much different today. And I fully appreciate it's moved on massively in the last 15 to 20 years which makes my ratios from back then redundant and the responses above even more powerful. I have a number of friends who work in retained recruitment. Many on the contingent side of recruitment see the retained model as the gold standard, the mark to be aiming for. I agree, but perhaps not for the same reasons. I simply think that the factors that make retained consultants stand out are that the consultants in that space see themselves as just that, consultants. They don't see themselves as less than the client, They don't try to fight for work based on costs and speed. They also work to a conversion rate of basically one role filled for one role taken on. So all their effort is going into delivering income for themselves and their business. That is why there are so many retained consultants who've had million pound years. And those of us who focus on contingent and who've had million pound years are much, much rarer. So my tip for you this week is take a leaf out of the retained model. Focus on getting your conversion rate down the close to one-to-one. Work on saying no to clients when you don't think you can fill a role and you find that your income will increase and ironically, your workload will go down. Not a bad combination in anyone's book. On to topic two this week. On Tuesday, I'm back on a plane for a business trip for the first time since December 2020. And I'm really looking forward to spending 10 days traveling and meeting clients and candidates and attending a number of trade events in Asia. For most of the last 10 years, I spent as much time abroad with work as I have in the UK, including living and working in places like India, the UAE, and as well as Afghanistan and Iraq. When I speak to people in recruitment, they often ask me about working abroad or doing business abroad. And most of the time, I think it's because they like the idea of the travel. And I can honestly say from experience, the fun of business travel wears off very quickly, even if you're doing it in some style with business class flights and upmarket hotels, which wasn't the case in most of my time out there. I haven't managed a private plane yet, but I suspect even that would lose its fun after a while. The point being that the travel shouldn't be the only reason you do it. Sure, I have enjoyed seeing the world as a result of my job, but I haven't enjoyed missing family and friends' birthdays or the time with my daughter I've given away to business travel. Which in the most cases is a plane to a hotel, to a meeting, to a plane, to a hotel, and then repeat. The reason I still do these international trips is for the business, and the reason I'm so passionate about UK consultants trying to do business internationally is that these international markets are ones that still reward the best of recruitment. There are markets where putting in effort and energy will be rewarded. They're not filled with agencies and agents using every dirty trick in the book to try and get business. And neither are they full of the types of client that are prevalent in the UK who let those poor practices continue by the way they run their recruitment process and who then complain about the tactics and tar the whole industry with the same brush. Luckily, the rest of the world isn't caught up with that race to the bottom. For example, in the US, the economy is double that of the UK. And it's often reported California alone is about the same GDP as the whole of the UK put together. 
but there are far fewer agencies working. As such, the market remains one where agencies and clients work together, where recruiters remain consultants, not some form of used car salespeople. Sure, like any market, it's a tough place to work, but it's one that rewards the best and weeds out those who aren't able to deliver a good service. And to my mind, that sounds like a good option. Where I spent a lot of my time in the UAE and many parts of Asia, the client wants to see you, to meet you, and to feel that you understand their business before they'll trust you with the work. They certainly won't accept a cold call from someone pitching a generic service, or even worse, spamming them via Insta pitches on LinkedIn, which seems to be the way a lot of recruitment consultancies tend to get their business these days. So I will continue to make these trips. I will continue to take my services to the international market. Firstly, because I enjoy working with companies who want me to add value to their business. And secondly, because I know I'm respected for what I can do, and I'm not put alongside those people who just don't try. I truly hope the UK market will be able to find its way back to that in the future. It certainly was there in the past, but I fear that the only way to do that now would be via some form of license with real teeth if the rules are broken. But given the lack of teeth from our trade bodies, I feel that idea is a long way off. So in the meantime, I'll go where my skills are valued and appreciated. And given now we can travel more freely and of course that Zoom and Teams have become part of the new normal, I would highly recommend that you try and do the same. I hope these ideas have been of use to you as always. I look forward to hearing your views on social media. I'm at Million Pound Builder in all the usual places. And if you could like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, that'll be much appreciated as it helps us reach those that otherwise wouldn't possibly hear us. And until next week, enjoy the journey.